stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, who's here with us in the office here in Chicago to discuss everything that's going on right now, the trade wars, the fears about a recession, and all the good things you want to talk about with someone who has a PhD in economics. Economics, John, that was my worst class in college. When I was at Michigan, I got my worst grade in economics. (laughs) This is why I bring you in here because I don't know what's going on. I still have like these crazy attacks about supply and demand and those charts and all that stuff. But in my defense, it is kind of a feeder class at Michigan. At least when I was there, everybody who wanted to go into the business school had to take it because you needed that class as a junior to get into the business school. So there were like a thousand people in it. It was just like a class everybody took. And it, it wasn't good for me. So thank you for coming in. <laughs> uh, no, no problem. No problem. Um, but let's start off with the trade because we've covered this before when you've been in here and now it's actually happening. So we've had some of the tariffs put on. We had the steel and aluminum and now we've had the Chinese. We're waiting to see kind of if those are expanded. There's been threats by the U.S. to add even more on to China. Um, there's the auto possibility of the auto tariffs that could come in August, apparently. And I've been saying for a while that I think we will get the auto tariffs just because President Trump has had an auto tariff idea for like 20 or 30 years now. He's talked about it for forever. So I do think he's going to follow through with that. But what do you think? Do you think that we will get, I guess it's about $360 billion Um, That could be for those tariffs. And will that be a turning point or is this all just hot air? We're all just blowing. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you, because I, I have a respect for, I was thinking about this this morning before I was going to do this show. And I, I came across a famous economist called Danny Roderick, D-A-N-I-R-O-D-R-I-K. I'm I'm telling, this is sort of PhD John Blank stuff. So Danny Roderick, was sort of the guy I would have, would have wanted to hear about this subject, right? So Danny had written an article that I found online this morning on, on the trade tensions, and how he thought the retaliation was going to play out. And the reason I bring it up now is he really believes that there isn't going to be a lot of tit for tat. Okay. And that is not the conventional wisdom, no. either in the office or out in, in my view either. So, but I, I really carry... A lot of respect for this gentleman and uh he really is a practical world world guy and he he just doesn't think the other governments are gonna want to do to govern like trump they're not gonna follow suit that was his argument they're not gonna follow suit they're they're just not going to do what the same things um so i bring that to the table because i think one of the things that is truly hard is the range of potential outcomes here is much wider for all of us than I think we think about. That's what I got away from reading the article, that I didn't really consider that, in fact, these governments just may laugh in his face the way they laugh about the North Korea deal. They say, right. you're marketing to your base and uh, we don't do that or need to do that. 
or want to do that, and we're just not going to do that. We're just going to watch you fall on your face. So there, there is a school of thought that's, that actually the market might be buying, which is $26 billion in tariffs uh, as, and an $18 trillion economy is a rounding error. It's a sales tax in a suburb of Chicago, you know, not on Chicago. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter. And now we're in earnings season. Maybe that is the case. I mean, see, the, one of the problems we're having here is it's on the one hand, it's the bullish earnings. On the other hand, it's the trade war. It gets into this balancing act like the scale of justice on a courtroom. And that may be the wrong model to have here. My point is that this is trade war stuff may end up being specific and micro. And it may end up being... Um, just not comparable to a huge sweeping rise in earnings. And that's a real bull way of looking at it. Now, I'll put the bear way, right? Which, and this gets the problem because now we go into this bifurcated scales to justice kind of thing where I'm balancing the scales and this truly may be the wrong way to look at it, right? But the scales of justice say, no, what's going to happen is Europe's going to put $300 billion in tariffs on their trillion-dollar trade deal with us. And China is going to find ways into non-tariff barriers, like we saw with the Micron, uh, you know, court decision that these all these non-tariff ways just exclude the United States from their business. And so, the way you get real, real bearish is to the early 1930s when this type of protectionism exploded. And that, at that time, the idea was to put high tariffs up because you were slumping. The economies were slumping out of the the great the great stock market crash. So you put tariffs up to preserve domestic demand, like build walls around your domestic demand. And so the idea was that you just protected your, your demand and that actually killed the demand because it raised the costs for the other, all the globally traded things. And so you brought in everything at super high prices and you just killed yourself and you killed the global economy. So that's the real bear case is that out there we're going to, $800 trillion in tariffs, which is, you know, 6 or 8% of world trade. And it's a big, big number, and it grinds the global economy down. And more importantly, it starts to create some type of a contagion into the financial system, and people pull out of financial areas. But, for example, just here, example, we have the 10-year this morning at 2.86%, right? Yeah. And you know, my, and I know that's pretty low. Yeah. And so one of the things you can think about is, if it's a safe haven move and everyone goes into the treasuries on the back of these things because they don't know what's going on, that's actually stimulative to the market, right? So the other thing I think people should remind themselves is, it, is positive and negative consequences will come out of unintended consequences. Unintended consequences, well, the, the story is that we had an erratic, chaotic president who's doing right-wing things, and these are only negative, unintended consequences. Unintended consequences may ultimately just lead to you know, positive and negative reversals, right? Positive and negative things that neither one saw, just like the 2.86 treasury rate. You might go, wow, it's going to be a big safe haven move, which will save this stock market. No one planned on that. It's not the president doesn't want a safe haven move into treasuries. It's actually positive stocks. So I think the real thing that we'll learn here is that this whole thing is going to have lots of feedbacks and weird disconnects. And positive and negative things that no one's going to see uh, until hindsight. And so I think, you know, from stock trading uh, advice, what I put out there and I still believe is none of this is new news right now. Right. This is not new news. So any stock 
or index or com- country index or whatever, uh, sector index that's doing well right now and on trading up, that's all the story you need to have. Momentum should play much higher uh, thinking than anything now. Because if this market is buying it now, it pr- any increase in tensions will only create more demand for that story. And if the market's not buying it now, any increase in tensions will will increase the demand for that story. So I think momentum, my basic good idea of the whole thing is don't come to the market with your ideas here. Let the market tell you what the ideas are that work. Now, okay. now, no, 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 right? Don't price, believe in pricing in everything. Believe the market's already thought this through. Believe the market's already traded on this. So the argument that's being made right now by a lot of investors is the big cap versus small cap argument that if we're in this trade war, the multinationals is where you don't want to be. You want to be in the small cap domestic focused that, um, you know, can write it out supposedly better. What, what's your take on that dichotomy? See, here, here we have an example of something I don't like, even though the momentum's going right, which is the small caps. The problem here is, uh, I think, you know, to play the safe momentum trends, you know, talking to the value investor uh, anchor here, I, <laughs> I think you do have to look to say, if I have a choice amongst momentum trends that are working for me, let's choose the ones that are valued better. The small caps aren't valued very well right now, right? The basic problem of the trade is if this story unwinds and on unspoken ways, the valuation is so high that they can be shorted down. And we know 50% moves down in, in, in small cap stocks can easily happen, which can lead to 25% declines in Russell uh, in in matter of weeks. So the problem here is it's just not um, a good valuation, even though the, the momentum's right. So I think the second part of the ingredient here is there's going to be plenty of momentum trades to look at. Look at the safer ones. Okay. I know that the small caps are at historically high valuations right now. So there is there is definitely more risk. I do have to say you run the large cap trader here at Sachs. Right. So um, you are more focused on the large too. Um, so, um, you know, I'm just putting that out there for the listeners too so that they know that you are more focused on that in general. But... As I, I've looked at, I can do all different kinds of caps in, in mine, but it is hard for me to find small cap value right now because they are um, really bid up right now with this whole play of, oh, I have to be in domestic. And there's not even any indication that just because you buy a domestic small cap that it won't be impacted. <laughs> there's plenty of small cap domestic industrials, in fact, manufacturers who are already getting hit by just the steel and aluminum. So... And then this gets to my point. I think the negative and positive consequences to unintended consequences, we got to think a lot harder about this. Yeah. Let's not be so drunk on these thematic, broad thematic ideas that this is how trade wars play out and these are what are going to work. Like the story that small caps are working because of the trade war. Right. Um, you know, in a, in a future episode of this thing, we'll have another story and it just might yeah. not even relate at all. It might be related to if somebody finally started to short these things. I don't know. We'll and see. And it have, might not have nothing to do other than people just started blowing up stocks because they could. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the recession indicators then? Like the whole inverted yield curve. We've talked about it on the show in the past. And you were just talking about the 10-year. Um, if we get that, 
everybody's already freaking out because it's getting close to inverting now. <laughs> and um, I get these tweets sent at me on Twitter about how we're already in a recession. But I know from our prior shows, that's not actually true, especially if you look at the just even the employment numbers. So what are a few things you look for for, you know, recessionary signals, so to speak. We've talked about it in the past, but yeah, I think well, it's here, a good... Yeah, the, ba the basic point I want to make with recessions is this whole idea of of timing the bottom is got to get put to bed. Okay. Um, the signals and being the first guy to see it, uh, just put it to bed. You know, in, in trading and in economics, I think, you know, all the money will be made between the 30-yard lines, as they say. Okay. Right? The problem here is that you're going to be the make this incredibly well-timed call is that you can be wrong three to four times before you're right, and then just, you know, yeah. cherry pick the time I'm right about it. And I just don't think there's much value in it because the bigger value is to get it right all the time and be late. So the, you're going to miss 10, 15% of, and hand it okay. back because you're not going to be the first guy. Right. But all you really want to do is avoid that big face plan and get more right. cash built up. That's yeah. the basic idea. And so you just want to get the call right. So my first point, if anybody, and I'll keep making it, is the final revised, final and revised, looking back three months, if that number starts to decline, then we should start talking about it. And all we're seeing right now is a very steady story that tells us the economy is largely on the same path it's been for the last eight or ten years. It has ignored all policymaking from either camp yeah. Right? Basically, yeah. It's basically irrelevant because whatever motion is going on in the economy largely is sustaining itself. Yeah. And that means until that doesn't happen, let's not talk about stories. And I've told people this before. Do not read recession stories. Do not read any political <laughs> right. stories until we see that revised final non-farm payroll number start to roll over and get below 100000 a month. Right? If it's... If we're looking back, and then this is July, and we look June, April, and May, and they're all 80 and 70 and 50, right? Yeah. Then you and I need to go to the news wires because it won't be it won't be hard for us to find out what the stories that link to that turn, right? Yeah. Until the turn happens, it's just propaganda in in an overbuilt media space. That's trying to, you know, generate, you know, uh, hits on on views and TV shows and all this stuff. And this is you can do this through the BEF. I'm going to reiterate this. You can pull the non-farm payroll through yeah. what's called the employment situation summary, put it put it bookmark it, and just then go down to the bottom and read the really lame fine print on the final revised payrolls. And when those go negative, you're going to be late two months, but you're never going to be wrong. Right. I know you've said that in the past. This is what really gets me about the people who are all hysterical about the inverted yield curve thing. So let's just say it does invert. And all the other times that's shown we've gone into a recession, but we haven't gone into a recession for like 18 to 21 months later. Right. So let's just say this happens. Well, what are you going to do for 18 to 21 months with your investments? Are you going to pull everything well, out right then and go into cash waiting well, no, for the you, recession to start? No. Right. right. Well, you've actually even, even understated the problem because here's the problem. So you, you now have a forward signal that's 18 to 20 months in advance of the thing happening. Yeah. 
which is still not helpful because the other thing is once you pull out, you also have to realize you have to have a signal to get back in. Right. And you have to figure out how long it's going to last and then how soon it's going to turn. And then when it turns, you have to figure out that it's turned properly. And again, you're going to try to find the bottom of a turn as the way you try to find the top of a turn. Yeah. Both of which are worthless. Right. Right. Because right. you think you think about, okay, I want to sell my condo at the top of the market here. Well, that has a bigger problem than you think because I'm going to sell it to get go to cash. I'm going to lose the rents for X number of years. I'm going to have to invest properly all those years. And then I'm going to have to time myself in and find myself a home for X number of years and then rebuy yeah. in at the bottom. Yeah. So these are the things. And it's not different for portfolio manager or anybody investing. It's a lot, many more decisions over a long time frame and you got to get them all right. Right. And the odds of that are pretty slim. Pretty low. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the humility there is, should be the first word to get anybody to get this right. Um, over the span of years, the discipline that's involved and, and, and the ability to survive anything you didn't see losing your job, you know, losing, losing other parts of your portfolio you didn't plan on. These things could force a capitulation on you. In, and so you were going to give up anyways. So yeah. this is the thing. I mean, the only reason we want to bring this up up is at some point if you're a retired person now that if the call is a 2020 recession, uh, it, you should be thinking about putting away a big chunk of cash now for the five years that right. might sit out at between 20 and 2025. Yeah. You should just have more cash and you, if you're that person. Right. I'm talking about a very specific person who is, you know, 80, who is right. all in equities in 2018. I'm saying to you, only you, that I might go to 60% equities now. Yeah. Right. The 25 or 30-year-old has other options, obviously. Right. And can and continue to dollar average into a 401k throughout yeah. the cycle and get it right. Far better off to do that and forget about the whole recession story. Yeah. And even a person like you and me who can ride this thing out and come through it yeah. also should probably ignore this. Yeah. Right? Because we can just keep on investing through it and just absorb the losses and build. Having said that, we should follow some of the 80-year-old logic, which is if we're going <laughs> to buy a house at the bottom in the next five years, we should put up more cash aside. So if you want to yeah. build out some cash for other markets that play out in recessions, and knock them down, you know, buy a cheaper vacation home here in five, six years. Yeah. Uh, you know, buy a decent sports car in a used market when ter auto tariffs go through the roof and the used car market implodes. Good ideas. So it, it always matters, I think, to just pull cash out of markets right now and have more than you think for, uh, for, for decisions you would like to make five years from now. Um, one other idea I wanted to get your thoughts on um, while we're kind of talking about these, I don't know if they're called myths out there, but kind of myths that keep getting perpetuated is the one that we could see, and we've talked about this in the past, the 4% uh, growth, you know, annualized here. And it looks like this second quarter, you know, could be over four, possibly. We had pretty hot first quarter. Could this be the year that we actually do get an annualized number close to that 4%? And if we do, can it be sustained for at least maybe one other year? Yeah, here, here's, a, here's the way, uh, here's the analogy to think about this. Um, you know, let's think about it in a Shake Shack sort of way. 
right? You and I are going to go out after the show and go to Shake Shack. And um, the tax cut has come on for both of us. Right. We have a lot more money. Yeah, I can afford that now. You can afford that now. So <laughs> I'm gonna, But I'm going to take you out to Shake Shack. Okay. Because I got to have a lot more money too. Because it's macroeconomic. Yeah. We all got more money. Yeah. So you're going to sit down and I'm going to buy you a shake. Right. And, but now I have more money. So I'm going to, it's more wealth, right? So yeah. I'm just going to buy you a double big shake. Okay. Twice the shake that you've ever had before for lunch. All right. Now the shake is your wealth. The straw you're drawing the shake out is your income. Okay. And the amount you suck out of the straw is your consumption. Okay. So if I double the shake and make you drink it forever at twice the size of shakes, and that's gonna is that gonna make you hungrier forever too? No. Why? Well, because I don't really need all of that shake. Right. That's basically, <laughs> basically. the problem. So that's the basic problem with 4% growth. 70% of the economy's growth is consumption, which is you sucking the shake yeah. out of the shake. So the fact that I doubled the size of your shake, when you don't have a bigger straw to suck out of it, you don't want one, right. and you're not appetite size. So the way you get more growth is you grow more consumption, which means you have to have people who are really hungry, yeah, have needs that really need to be satisfied have have real appetites, right? Right. So if you have a wealth inequality increasing, so we're giving wealth to people who don't need it. If I'm giving, you know, Tracy who doesn't want to gain the weight and doesn't need it, a right. double size shake, it'll melt. It'll be wasted, yeah. and it will sit in savings basically. That's right. what we would call savings. So you it might drive the stock market up because we're going to put the money back to work and buybacks. I'm not yeah. saying that, but even if that happens, that's a 20 to 1 Marginal percentage of consumption. So 20, 1.5% of what you do in your wealth goes to the stock, to the consumption, because you just don't drink more. Right. Right. So the problem with the whole model here is if you want to get it right, we have to target the people who want to drink more and have needs that need to be filled, which are usually lower income people, people who have, you know, been out of the labor force for a long time, who will really step up and buy stuff who can't now who really are constrained by income, who can really really see a huge increase in appetites, or they're making 30, 40 grand, and you can take them to 50, 60, and have a huge surge in better cars and better apartments and better homes. That will drive growth up dramatically. Because again, it's, it's not the size of your shake, it's not the size of your straw, it's how much you drink out of it. Right. Now, you've said in the past that um, Generation X is maybe too small to keep it sustained. This kind of goes into what you were just saying. There's, there's, that is a smaller generation than baby boomers or the millennials. They're at their peak earnings power right now, kind of where the baby boomers were in the late 90s when we did get the 4% sustained, um, but that much bigger generation. So does that play into it too? We simply, we don't have enough people to, to maintain? Well, you know... One of the things I was looking at the other day is the labor force participation rate between Canada and the United States. Um, we have a dramatically lower labor force participation rate than Canada does right now. Um, and we're seeing this with the last numbers with this huge 600,000 increase in people entering the labor force. The bigger problem we have right now is this amazing mismatch between skills and work. Right. Uh, and there's some deeper sure. issues with, with women staying out of the work for child rearing and the incentives they have. 
But the bottom line is there's a whole dialogue that's not being had about how we train and skill ourselves. Broadly speaking, um, this demographic bulge you're talking about. Um, yeah, there's like 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day right now. Yeah. The thing here, here again, the problem we're going to have with this is the, back to the unintended consequences. What are the positive ramifications that we haven't thought about here? You know, are they all going to create a leisure force boom? Are they all going to find ways to um, keep themselves active in part-time jobs, gig right. economy things? Um, it's not clear with longer lifespans that people aren't going to re-employ themselves, reskill themselves, um, and that this whole generation will find that that out. So, yeah, um, I would say yes. Certainly, it's going to be a negative for the growth rate to have retired people leaving the labor force because it shrinks the incomes, right? Which right. is there's just less people putting straws in the shake now. Yeah. Right? That's the basic idea here. There's a huge shake out there with all these straws dripped in it and the straws are being pulled out, which is I mean there's there's people are just not this is less consumption because there's less straws. Right. Right? But see again you have to think about there might be fatter straws and the remaining ones. There might be bigger appetites than all these other things, and then all this can play out. And the idea that there's not other straws being put in by later generations that could grow or can grow uh, or through immigration changes. But the problem right now, you have negative immigration policy. You have aging demographics, and, and, and you're creating less demand through trade because you're fighting everybody uh, from abroad. So problem right now is if you think about it broadly, that's all negative growth. Right. Right. And that is the negative story here is that the tax thing is going to run up against three headwinds, one positive and three negatives. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep all these things <laughs> in mind, but let's give some uh, stock tips now. Just uh, I took a look at my value investor portfolio and at your large cap trader here at Saks. And because we were talking earlier this morning about this one area in particular. Um, so in the value investor, I used to own Aetna in there for a couple of years, since 2016, 2015, something like that. And now they're being bought out by CVS. So initially we sold Aetna because it wasn't doing anything for months, waiting for that deal to close. And I was like, meh, not super excited about CVS, so we're not going to like sit in there and wait and get our shares of CVS because Aetna shareholders are getting some shares of CVS. But then I changed my mind because it got really cheap. It's still only trading about nine times. And then the Amazon news came out that they bought the pill pack, the online drug distributor for a billion dollars and all of the CVSs and Walgreens got crushed down. So it's a real buying opportunity. So I now own that one that will be adding Aetna. They haven't actually closed the deal yet, but it's supposed to go through later this year. So I will once again own one of the health insurers. But I noticed that you own some in the large cap trader. You own UNH in there and um, Centene, which is CNC, is the ticker over there. And um, seems like you really like this area too. So what is it about like the health insurers that are a good play right now? Well, you know, it's just, it's that aging demographic thing, right? Yeah. It's certainly playing out through health spending. I mean, one of the things that people are doing as they're getting older, they're trying to live better, healthier. Right. They're getting operations. They're, they're doing things uh, with their lifestyle, living in better homes. 
be, you know, trying their best to, to, con- to carry on at a higher level of uh, agility. So, or they're just, there's more of them, right? Just keep yeah. it simple, right? And so, and the third thing is you have still the Obama uh, expansion to the uninsured right. that is putting millions of people on, on these payrolls of these healthcare companies. And um, since that didn't get negated, it's, and yeah, they're, they're on the edges chipping away at it, but the millions right. of people are getting added are making this a growth stock. Yeah. And so you have a story here. What's great about this story is it has nothing to do with the international economy at all. That's right. And that is the thing is, again, if you're looking at this versus a small cap trade, this one is still, most of these companies are still fairly well valued. Yeah. Price to earnings growth ratios are usually in the one and a half to two range. They're not dirt cheap. They're not overdone. Right. So that tells you that some of these momentum trades are still going to be on for another 10, 15%. So this has got to be an area that takes the market up and you can own an overweight in it and do pretty well. I, I took a look at the earnings growth on both of those and you're looking at 40% earnings growth with Centene and 25 with UNH. And these are, you know, UNH is already massive to get 25. Some of that is from the corporate tax cuts, but still 25% earnings growth still going on. And this is... How many years after Obamacare now? Eight years or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, Six years? Yeah, take a look at Centene's earnings chart. You see that big jump in January in the tax passage? Because yeah. here's an th- example where, you know, the stock really will, because they make a ton of money. Like that stock's, what, 20 times earnings? It's 250 yeah, 18. Yeah. 18 times. Eight, 18 times is $250. That tells you they're making, you know, $15 a share. Yeah. So you get a corporate profit tax and you're making that much money, it goes straight into your bottom line. Yeah. So... The thing about a lot of small caps, they don't make any money. So the profit tax right. is not helping. Right. That it, is these true. UNH things, these big cash flow producing entities yeah. are where the play is. And that's what happened here. And UNH just, they just make 15, 16 bucks a share. And now you're going to make a 20% number on it. You can do another three, four bucks on that number. Yeah. I saw on your portfolio that you have a couple chemical companies and you've liked those, but you don't have any energy names. Are there some that you're considering or is there a reason you're you're not going into that area or Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I I get consensus data on the WTI and Brent. Yeah. And it's just not picking up. So you're you're avoiding the energy. Yeah, you're not trusting it doesn't this. move off 65. It's not going down. Right. I mean, and if it does go down in 2019, it's going to 63. So there's this okay. kind of idea that, which we saw with OPEC adding a million barrels, that they're kind of yeah. comfortable with 65. This is where they kind of want to be. So I personally think the market's overshooting, and it's going to come back and just kind of toggle around, which could mean going to 60 and back to 75 for a while. Yeah. With a benchmark, you know, on average, which will be still volatile around 65. And then... That means to me, I don't see from a priced in perspective that this isn't a stock area that's just going to go completely sideways for a while. Okay. What about tech names? Are, are, are you, you don't have to tell us which ones, but are, are you keeping some on a watch list in that area or is it still just kind of too hot in some of the tech names? Uh, you know, I still own them for, and I still keep them overweight in this okay. area. I. I don't know from a timing perspective if that's going to be a completely yeah. make me look stupid for a long time kind of thing. Okay. Because uh, this is a trade war thing. The most internationally exposed supply chains 
the most international supply chains out there are these tech chip things. Yes. Right? They're 60, 70% international because you do all these pieces all over the world and yeah. move things around. So, but again, I mean, is the hidden story that these other countries just don't tamper with it? And the Trump administration kind of stays away from it because it's not their base. And everything that does come back in terms of retaliation is towards the the staples. Right. And this this kinda is a buying opportunity. So I don't get a good sense that, like I said, with momentum, that if I look at enough of these momentum names, that this isn't a buy the dip thing. And I'm still not convinced that the whole trend of these stocks is broken at all. Okay. So I'm still in the game with these things. Okay. But I do, you can be bearish about these names and I will hear you out. Okay. Let's put it that way. Definitely. I'm not, I'm, there's, it's 50 50 that I'm right about this. Yeah. What about the Chinese names? I know you've owned some of them in the past, and I own the crazy YY. I just call it crazy because it was so volatile. I owned that in the Value Investor. <laughs> and then it sold off. We sold, and it's it's been tracking lower. I've owned Soho dot, or Sohu.com, which is just S-O-H-U in the insider trader because some insiders bought over there. But that's getting beat up, too, on the trade fears. Anything that's Chinese, I feel, is pretty weak right here. Yeah, and that, that's the negative trend that I think will get worse. And okay. it, it doesn't matter. I, here's a story that, again, momentum. The momentum's going down on these Chinese stocks. Yeah. And here we are. So the best call in my mind is that they'll go down more. Okay. And that doesn't mean I think China's going to grow or fall into recession. I just yeah. think don't beat the market up on this call. Just don't. Don't fight it. Yeah. It's going down more and don't buy it because it's going down more. Just let it go down more until it stops going down and turns around on its own. And then get in late. Okay. And, you know, again, 30-yard run kind of thing. Yeah. Be the last guy in the Chinese bull market that comes out of whenever it does. Yeah. That makes sense because I know I get a lot of questions about the Chinese stocks. And, you know, they're all, they aren't really rational ever. No. And I, <laughs> exactly. You, you just should say to yourself ah. this. Chinese, they love to watch stuff move, and this thing's moving down. So they're now got a whole bunch of securities groups that are margin trading on the short side, and this will go down uh, regardless of any intuitive sense that they're going to lose the trade war because it's just going down now. Yeah. And that's no, there's not going to be enough of a positive story here because, I mean, how the, what's the positive story? The trade war is over. Um, right. <laughs> you're laughing, <laughs> That would right? be it. <laughs> The trade war is over. And so do we see that? How will we know when it's over? Because they withdraw the tariffs, I guess. Is that how we'll know? Yeah, that's why. It's just not not a clean (laughs) answer to when it ends. Yeah. It's not like one day we wake up and it's a surprise trade war ends headline. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we'll get one. Who knows? This is the new new times. Yeah. Or we just (laughs) grow to realize some um, thing that happens that we all get comfortable with and the market just realizes it's not the end of the world and it just starts to yeah. reprice on the thing on its own. Yeah. And that the lower valuations and some other story picks up from the last one we had. And but the bottom line is let's not even be creating rationales around these things. If the momentum's not there, then just don't bother with the thing and don't be timing the bottom or think there's a dip. Okay. All right. So that's all good. Good advice. Well, it's always good to have you on the show because 
there's all these questions. Like I said, people tweet at me all the time about all this stuff. And I'm always like, you need to be tweeting at John Blake, not at me. I'm the one who did bad in economics. Go to him. Right. Um, but that's why these shows are helpful. And I think we do this show almost every time you're in here. But it's always changing every time. Yeah. So just every couple months, it seems something new is going on. So we will have you back on again, probably in the early fall to talk again. And we'll see if they... They put those auto tariffs on. What happens with that? Who knows? But um, I'm still pretty bullish on the stock market. I feel like the bulls are still in charge here. So um, I'm staying fully invested in my portfolios. But let's recap the tickers. So we talked about UNH, uh, United Health Group. It's UNH, obviously, is that ticker. Centene is CNC. Then... Um, We've had CVS, CVS. I mentioned that Sohu, you might want to go check that out, but it's pretty volatile. It's S-O-H-U. And also there's the YY that's still out there. That's YY is the ticker. That's also another Chinese stock. So some stock ideas, things we're looking at here, and we bring them to you every week here on The Market Edge. So be sure to subscribe. We're on the podcast is on Apple Podcasts, of course, and Spotify and as well as SoundCloud. So get us somewhere so you don't miss a single episode. And I'll see you again next week.